Welcome back, everybody. This is the Things Christians Want to Know podcast, and I am Nate Johnstone, and that is Paul Anderson. Yes. I was just going to say it. You took the words right out of my mouth. Sorry about that. You can say it right That's now. That's okay. If, if, no, if you, I like you. you. Want. Yeah. No, you <laughs> said it beautifully. And we are enjoying podcasting from a distance and recording the Zoom chat we are now doing as well. So... If you haven't seen us on video, check out the YouTube channel. And if you prefer to watch two people talk than listen to two people talk, you're in luck because <laughs> that is exactly what we're doing. It sounds funny, but I actually do that. I watch podcasts all the time. I prefer watching than listening. Unless I'm exercising or doing work, then it's nice to listen. But that's just me. And if it's you too, congrats. So Paul, we are starting a new series Yes. This week on relationships, but relational ministry, really, specifically, isn't that what you would say? Yes, I would definitely say. So why don't you, some people might understand what we mean when we say relational ministry, and some people might have no idea. Uh, why don't you tell us about that? I will tell you a story. As I told you before, Karen and I, we were watching a video of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you know that name, mm -hmm. a, a Lutheran theologian, well known for some of his writings on community, but also well known because he became a conspirator with regard to the Nazis who were rising in Germany and the church was strangely blind to what was going on. They were blinded by a, a vision for their country that lacked values. And we're gonna mm -hmm. talk about that uh, in these podcasts, vision and values. Vision is where you are going what you see out there, values is what undergirds. Values is who you are, what you are, and it undergirds your vision. And so there, there was a vision. The church had been uh, buried uh, and struggling after the First World War, and now they were coming back. Finally coming back, yeah. Of, of reception and uh, they were feeling so positive that their eyes were blinded to this sinister, dark, Nazi, Third Reich regime. Mm -hmm. And uh, he became a conspirator. And while Berlin... Conspirator was, against the Nazis, to be clear. That's right, yeah. Uh, Berlin was crushed, uh, but nevertheless... Uh, he was arrested and ordered to be hanged. And so we lost a great person in him. And as I saw that, I, I was just uh, struggling with the ability of a church to embrace something so dark. And I asked myself the question, could that ever happen again? And not only did I say, obviously, yes, but at the end of our days, uh, before the Lord returns, we are told that something far greater, far greater pandemic 
to use the word <laughs> we're using a lot these days, will erupt on society as a person will rise on the scene with a, a vision of world peace and with signs and wonders, and he will pull the wool over even the eyes of Christians, and they will follow the beast rather than the lamb. And so that got me thinking, what are we looking at here? And as you introduce it, uh, relational Christianity. What we need to understand are the differences between vision and values. Mm -hmm. In the 80s, vision began to be popular. It, 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 uh, I, I had a guy in my church, Dan Hall, I remember him, and he came to me and he said, Paul, what's our vision? I didn't even know what he was talking about. <laughs> what do you mean, what's our vision? That was, uh, never had that in seminary. And he said, you know, McDonnell Douglas has a vision. What is our vision? And I figured, well, I, uh, the Great Commission, let's make that our vision. <laughs> and so, right. but I didn't understand what Lyle Schaller said was that the most important single reality for a congregation, a network, a denomination is their values that undergird their vision. And I did not understand that. But now I do, and I see it now throughout the New Testament in particular, and I've written a little bit about it. Uh, so you vision without values leads to using people and sometimes abusing people. A lot of churches, they, they're functional. You know, you, you ask them, well, what do, you, uh, what do you do? And they tell you about their function. I don't do that in my family. Here's Andrew, he mows the lawn. Here's, here's Erica, you know, I'm talking right. about their function. I talk about, we, we have a loving family. We love to get together. We, we, that's, that's the relational component that needs to be active in a family, and the church is modeled after the family. So mm -hmm. we want the church to be a relational paradigm. The Trinity is a relational paradigm. Mm -hmm. And interrupt me here if I'm saying too much too fast. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they live together from eternity past in mm -hmm. solid relationship before they did anything with and started this family on earth because they are uh, god is not a doctrine god is a relationship right and so the church is called to be that they're called to be relational like a family so in a family we we our relationships undergird our functions and grow out of the functions i joke around people say well you have why did you have kids well because we needed somebody to mow the lawn. We need right. somebody to, to wash the dishes. We needed jobs done. Not. We love led us to do what we did. And so we have a, a relationship. However, the other side, if you have values, but you don't have vision, you're passive. You're stalled. Mm -hmm. You know, you can have good values of who you are, what you stand for, but if you, if you don't see that product and the end product and go for it, then uh, it's easy to be stalled and not get anything done. And so these two need to be held in tension, that we operate with an understanding of our identity and who we are 
and uh, that becomes the motivation for the manifestation. So that's good. That's good. And so to put it in a current context for us, we, we are at Lydia house church, small church, and it's a unique church. It's a different church. Our, our values and our identity is different than a lot of other places. And so when we are looking at questions that exist in these days, like, do we open the church? When does that happen? How do we operate after that happens? Those kind of questions. In order to find the answers to those questions, we look to what we already know is true about us. We look to our identity. We look to our values. And those help us to determine how to answer those questions and what those things might look like. Mm -hmm. And every church is different. And so every church will be looking at that in a different way. And it, these days, you know, not every church has to do the same thing because <laughs> churches are different, which brings into place a whole nother factor that we don't have to talk about now, but that in the New Testament, when it talks about a church in a city, there was only one, one leadership team, one group of elders. Now we have hundreds of churches. And so coordination becomes very difficult now as relational ministry has kind of gone the way of the dodo in much of the church. Um, and it would be interesting to try to get back to that in some capacity. But we, we can table that, uh, that point for another time because that's sort of weighted. Um, but, I, but I like where you're going with Paul. Can you give us some examples of values? Not necessarily values you have to have, but like an option, either from, uh, from, from a previous church or a current situation, well, in, case people, in case people aren't sure what exactly you mean by that. I'll, I'll give you an example right from the scriptures. Sure. Uh, Paul is talking about ministry in 1 Corinthians 12 and uh, talks about the gifts of the Spirit. Those are functions. Those are things that we do. But then he says, if I speak with the tongues of men or of angels and I am not love, I'm a clanging gong. I'm a nothing. I am a nothing. I'm a zero. Mm -hmm. If I have faith to remove mountains, that's wonderful. They're getting the job done. They're moving mountains and have not love, what does it mount me? I would say it, it, it amounts to less. But Paul says, no, it is an absolute zero. Love is the foundation for the relationships that lead to functions. Mm -hmm. And if we choose to devalue those values, mm -hmm. then we will use people. We will, we will, we will push for the function. Let's get those, let's, let's get those mountains moved and push on people, or we need somebody. He, uh, he, he's, he's, uh, not real honest, but he's sure good with finances. We need yep. something. So we, we tend to, uh, compromise. So we need a value like love undergirding what we do in the church in order to authenticate the vision and keep it on schedule. That's really interesting. And I think that from a Christian perspective, what you're saying could probably be true in a Christian run business as well. In that whether the business is selling refrigerators or the business is running a church, there is for leadership, there is always going to be temptations to just get it done. Ask Sophie to do it. 
she does everything, but she does everything. Should we continue asking her to do everything? Yes, it'll be easier. And so we burn people out. Yes. By asking them to do too much. And one of the main areas where a church differs from a business, let's say, is that in the church, you're dealing with primarily volunteers. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be careful about how much burden you put on them. And you have to be careful that you don't, like if, if they give you pushback, you don't put some sort of religious guilt on them so that they feel like they have to do what you're asking to do. There's a lot of temptations because at the end of the day, a church sometimes needs to get stuff done. Yes. You need to get the worship video out on time. You, you need somebody to make the coffee. The, the chairs aren't set up. Like you need stuff done. And so it's really challenging to not, it's really challenging to put people before the functions that have to be done. It is. And we've all broken that. And I, ha- I have found it difficult. In, in, in seminary and stuff, I'm like, oh, I'm, like, I'm going to be fine with this. I'm not going to have a difficult time with this at all. I didn't think I would. But wow, at the end of the day, when stuff isn't getting done and it has to, it's really easy to sacrifice someone. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. You're going to get sacrificed because a bunch of stuff has to get done and you're the only one willing to do it. Yeah. And our value needs to be that that is not okay. Yes. You know what? If the lights don't work right, well, we can just tell a joke about how the lights don't work right and it'll be fine. It's not that big of a deal. Um, People have to come first. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, that's challenging. And for any of you who have led, whether it's in a secular environment or a church, you, you know this already. You know that there are certain employees that you lean on maybe a little too heavily <laughs> or you ask maybe a little too much of. Um, and th- there will be consequences for that eventually. You might put too much on them and they break or they might just leave because they don't feel appreciated enough or whatever it is. And that's true in the church as well. At the end of the day, people have to come first. And if you look at what Jesus did and what Paul did afterwards, it's clear that that's the case. Yes. Jesus did not pick a dream team, folks. He did not go through resumes and pick all 10 out of 10s to make sure he had the best possible business he could have. Uh, He he picked people who in other people's minds were losers Mm -hmm. and dregs and unreputables. And he did all right. <laughs> I, I love the, just picturing that when he calls Matthew, he's sitting at the tax table, mm-hmm. probably with his buddies. And Jesus shocks them and shocks Matthew by saying, follow me. Yeah. And, and the second shocker was that Matthew got up. <laughs> that Matthew did. He got up and if you think about it, we would not have the uh, Sermon on the Mount, uh, a good portion of it. Which is a decent one. Yeah, it's a decent sermon. Yeah. It's a, he hadn't said you know. yes. So you're right. You're absolutely right uh, that, that Jesus picked them and then he shaped them. They were shapeable. They were teachable. They weren't already there. They were on the way. Yep. And he... he uh, he made them what they needed to be, praise the Lord. And God, I think God can do more with a teachable moron 
than he can with an unteachable genius. And I am proof of that because <laughs> I'm not as smart as I make out. Um, You're pretty smart. Um, okay. But I try to be teachable <laughs> as much as possible. Um, and and when, I, when I first started learning this stuff, which is when I was in seminary at the Master's Institute, I had sort of lived some of this already, but I had no framework for it. I had never experienced anyone teaching about this stuff in my life. Um, I had heard people teach about church as a business, and it has to run in a business-like way for it to function properly. Like, I had heard that, but I always had a little bit of an allergic reaction to that. I'm like, a pastor is not a CEO. That's not what I want to be. I don't want to be a CEO. Mm -hmm. um, but being teachable, <laughs> I did come to learn that, well, there is a business aspect to the church. There, there does need to be management that happens and leadership that happens within the church. And there are some similarities to business stuff in that. But at the end of the day, the main difference is a business exists primarily to make a profit. And we exist primarily for people. And a lot of businesses claim they exist to serve people, but if they stop making money, they would stop doing it. Mm -hmm. Right? right. Um, the organism needs to drive the organization. And right. that's a living entity. I heard a while back that there is a Fortune 500 company that changed their policy. And they said to their employers, you are first. We have said that the customer is first, but they said you are first. They wanted to treat their own people like they were a value. So they yeah. changed their value and it didn't negatively affect their company. In fact, it improved because they were happier, of course, and they were able better to serve the people. So yeah. they said, you are important. And I know of organizations, I know of one that's a powerful organization all around the world. And yet I have dealt, I've counseled with some of the people because they themselves weren't cared for in the kind of way they should have been cared for. They, they did their jobs and they did them well, but uh, this is something that's easy to sleep out of, uh, to slip out of our awareness because we wanna get things done. We wanna, we wanna uh, that end, end line statement. You know? Exactly, and it, you know, especially for me, I'm a goal-oriented person, planner, a little bit of type A in there. And so I value the ends more than the means, just naturally, my natural personality. And you would think that the church would be great at this, right? Relational, it's all about people, we should be good at this. But you'd be surprised, if you've never experienced this, you might be surprised. I have seen so many churches, parachurch ministries, you name it, totally fail at this. Mm -hmm. Because they get this vision to reach out to this certain people group in this certain country, let's say, okay? That's their vision. And their vision outruns their values. Because the vision is so strong, the vision is what people give to, the vision is why people sign up. And if that happens, if your vision outruns your values, you will chew people up. You will grind them to dust and you will fail eventually. Because the end justifies the means for you. We need to get these people saved. We need to get these people healed. We need to, whatever it is. And you will do anything to get to that goal and you will sacrifice anything to get to that goal. And there's part of that that sounds sort of right. Yeah. That's, that sounds sort of right. That sounds a little Christian, but it's actually a di distortion. It's a perversion in my opinion, 
of and what we're supposed to do. Nate, what you just said, the end is, uh, justifies the means. What people don't understand is that the means become the ends. It did with communism. It comes with any sinister uh, process that has warped values and uh, a, a, a strange vision. It will, the, 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 well, Paul said it, and it's so too obvious to be said, but if you sow corn, you're not going to get potatoes. Huh. What you sow, you reap. If you are sowing discord and want unity, you blew it. Yep. You can't, we have to have values that support the vision, or uh, it's going to, we're going to use them, or we're going to, like you say, abuse them. And so if you grind your volunteers into the ground in the name of helping people, you are already losing. And you yeah. ultimately will not succeed in your goal of helping people because you're hurting someone in order to help people. It just doesn't work that way. What we, what we need to remember is the great commandment precedes the great commission. Mm, that's good. That'll preach. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that gives us the value that will undergird the Great Commission vision. So. I like that. Yeah, this is, this is really worth thinking about. Uh, when you think of uh, some, of the, some of the things that Jesus said, for instance, he said, if you are offering your gift at the altar. This is a great example. Here you come and worship. How important is worship? I put worship pretty high. Yeah. On, on this. Uh, some have put it way at the top, but Jesus doesn't. He says, if you come to bring your gift and you realize that your brother has something against you, that becomes your priority. Drop Maybe. it and go talk to him. Yes, you, you, because worship is to be done in unity. It can't be done if there's discord. And some say, hey, do it afterwards. No big deal. He doesn't know anyway. She doesn't care anyway. It doesn't make any difference. And they ignore that and they try to worship. And it's, it's in heaven, it's cacophony. It doesn't yes. sound good. And I remember, I bet you remember too, uh, Graham Cook, said, if you want to upgrade your worship, upgrade your relationships. Do you remember when he said that? Yep. I, well, that stuck. That was one of the many things he said that I'm like, I don't know if I have a grid for what you're telling me right now. That mm -hmm. happened a lot when I was in seminary. <laughs> yeah. Which is good. That's good. Really good. And, but, but I've come to totally agree with that. Mm -hmm. and, and especially for my generation and younger, um, for many worship is primary mm -hmm. praise and worship time with god for many that's really the only way they experience god at all a lot of them don't experience god through scripture because they just don't do it <laughs> i'm not saying they can't i'm saying they don't but they do feel god experience love all those things in worship so worship becomes the most important thing for them and this passage is something that they really need to get a hold of mm -hmm. Because it's not all about you and God, and as long as you can worship, everything's fine. Jesus says, 
turn off the worship music, put your hands back down, <laughs> go and talk to your friend or to whoever it was that you have some sort of disagreement with. And ev almost every epistle, Paul says this exact thing. I, I entreat Yudia and Syncate to work out their problems. I, I entreat you to knock it off, work it out. I, you're suing each other, quit it. Almost every single epistle, he hits this exact same point. The relationship is more important than anything else, than getting stuff done. It's more important than how many people got saved today. It's more important than everything. Like it's, it's why we do what we do. And that's, that's one of the unique things I think about the Christianity that Jesus instituted is that the means are actually more important than the ends. That's incredibly true. It's different. Many times Jesus says, not as the world does it, do I do it. You know, yeah. he's like, uh, when he talks about leadership, he's like, the world lords over other people. That's how they do it in the world. It's not so among you. If you're going to be the first, you're the slave of everybody else. It's opposite. Jesus turns the tables on the world system across the board every time. And so with Jesus, the means are more important than the ends. And that's hard for someone like me, whose personality is the other way. <laughs> I had a very funny example of that when I was in Tanzania. And I shared some things about uh, the congregation, the life of the congregation. I was speaking to mainly the pastors. And uh, they said to me, we want to hear more about leadership. And when they said that, I knew what they were saying. Because we sat up on the platform, we were high above them. Uh, anybody who, who had more than five people in his congregation sometimes called himself a bishop, and they had cards, and they yep. showed them to me. Yep. So they had a real longing for being, a, a, being recognized, for being on the Honor. platform. Honor, yeah. Yes. And so I knew what they were, they were wanting. And I said, I'd be glad to talk about leadership. And, and you so kindly I, disabused them of their notions yeah, regarding that. I, I, I said what, you know, I said about <laughs> James and John wanting that they, they had the best seat syndrome. And then I pointed at the congregation and I said, it shall not be so among you, which is what Jesus said yep. to his disciples, it shall not be so among you. For whoever would be first, he must be last. And I got down low on the ground. Then I talked to him for a while about what it meant to be low. And an, uh, an Episcopalian bishop afterwards came up to me in his red suit and his red tie. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's also a politician. And he was a wonderful man. He said, Paul, you ruined me. You just, you, you, hmm. and he was, he was thanking Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. In, in a good way. Uh, but, uh, That's that wonderful. was, that was an example of seeing the reality and we feel, we face it as well here. I'm not oh, saying they, it's what's worse over there. We face it as well. The desire to be noticed. Absolutely. And sometimes that's why I think cross-cultural ministry is so important because sometimes you can see something in another group, another culture that they don't necessarily see in themselves. So if we trust one another and we can go there and say, so I see this, is this what's happening? Yes. Do you think that's good? <laughs> Maybe not. Okay. <laughs> I agree. Let's, yeah. let's move towards seeing if we can fix that. Whereas, you know, you can't see the log in your own eye. 
<laughs> but if you work together, you can get all the logs and splinters out of each other, which is why I love cross-cultural ministry, which I'm going to pause there because I think um, we, we need to come back and, and continue this next week. Did you have a party comment or? Yes. I said, I was going to say we have I'll to stop it. here. Okay. Same, <laughs> same comment. All right. It's folks. Sometimes, you know, we get going and it's hard. It's hard to, it's hard to put the brakes on this train, but we're going to do it and we will see you next week. God bless. That is it for this episode of Things Christians Want to Know. If you have any questions or comments, please send them to questions at tcwkcast.com. We publish every Thursday, so tell your friends and please rate us on iTunes. That's really helpful for us. Additional information, including links to Nate's blog, Paul's blog, etc., can be found on tcwkcast.com. God bless.